Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Live from the Combine in Indianapolis, which right now is the nerve center of the National Football League. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino. We have our usual cavalcade of guests here. We're going to lead off with Brad Spielberger, who handles salary cap, free agency, all that good stuff for pro football focus. You are Ricky Henderson today, Brad. So let's rock and roll here. First and foremost, the Giants are going into a very interesting year in terms of free agency. Settle us in, first and foremost, where they are with their cap situation and kind of what they have to deal with as they head into 2023's offseason. Yeah, they're in a healthy spot. I think I came on last year and we talked about some of the tough decisions they were going to have to make to clear the books. And, and Joe Shane kind of turning this roster over, getting younger, getting rid of some older players, even good older players like the James Bradbury. Uh, and they made a lot of those moves. So they can spend a lot if they want to, and I think they're going to. Realistically, the Giants have nine draft picks, probably two compensatories, which will get them to 11. Do you think that Joe Shane will want to, besides signing his own guys back, make a splash with maybe one big-time free agent, or is he going to just try to fill out with as many draft picks as he can and save some of that money for some of the re-ups he's going to have to do next year? I think he could also use some of those tra- draft picks to maybe trade for a veteran player that's not available in free agency, but he views as a you know a bigger addition, a bigger splash. You look at some of the guys going into the last year of their deals, you know, T. Higgins, Cincinnati, Brandon Ayuk with the 49ers, those are obviously big names that get people excited, mm-hmm. but we saw that last offseason. I think you explore those markets to a degree. Um, and then, you know, also trading up in the draft, too. If he falls in love with a guy, Brandon Bean in Buffalo when he was there always was aggressive and made moves to get players he really liked. So I think with that extra capital, he will want to be aggressive. Um, but also, yeah, you want to earmark money for your internal guys. Obviously, Andrew Thomas is going to ask for a mighty big contract in the near future um, and deserves it. So it's a mix of both, but I do think they could make a splash or two. Okay. Same with Dexter Lawrence, by the way. He will also yes. be coming up, too. And by the way, folks, make sure you stay tuned. 1 o'clock today on today's show, Giants General Manager Joe Shane will be joining us live. We'll be taking your questions for him live on the phone at 201-939-4513. Brad, you mentioned the trade market. What's the going right now if you do want to trade for a number one wide receiver. And you know, you mentioned a couple guys. I wouldn't put them in the Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams class quite. But what type of payload are you looking for to try to acquire one of those number ones before they hit free agency? Because really, it seems like those guys aren't even reaching free agency at this point. 
They really are not. I mean, last offseason was crazy. All those 20, what, 19 draft picks that all get paid going into the season, um, you know, the guys that weren't getting paid either demanded a trade and got a deal like Debo Samuel or like A.J. Brown gets the trade done, and I think that does establish the market. A first and a third-round pick for him. I think T. Higgins is in that conversation, maybe a step below. Ayuk, I think, is more viewed maybe a little bit below that, but honestly had a phenomenal season this past year um, and, and is obviously operating as a number two behind Debo Samuel, but I think could be a team's de facto top option on a different team. So you're looking at like a one-plus then? I think those guys are one plus, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting, yeah. Now, Joe Shane has talked openly about trying to retain Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and Julian Love. Also, during the course of the season, they had some conversation. How realistic is it going to be, given their cap situation, to try to fit all three within the room that they have? Yeah, I would guess maybe more two than, than three. I think no one's talking about Julian Love, and I know they're very high in the building on him. Uh, I got a shout out our intern, Arjun Menon, does this cool thing on a kind of versatility matrix for safeties. Because um, that safety, you get paid if you can do a lot of things, right? Not if you're just a, a deep third ball hawk, but if you can play in the slot, you come down in the box, you do different things. And they trust Love with a lot of these responsibilities. Yeah. So uh, I think it'll be two of the three. You know, I can, you can ask who, who of those two, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but um, if I had to guess today, I would say Daniel Jones and Julian Love, if I had to place a bet on it, will be back. Saquon, I think, might be on the way out at this point. Wow. You know, I think I think the Daniel thing's interesting, and I want to kind of dig into that a little bit more here in terms of the type of contract it's going to look like. I think we know he's going to be back. They can put the franchise tag on him. You can do a shorter-term deal. You can do a longer-term deal. How do you balance all those things out in terms of length, amount of money, then you deal with the cap on top of that? Kind of take us through how you think about the contract and what it might look like from a length and size perspective. Yeah, so the first thing you start at, and realistically every team and agent when they're negotiating a top deal, this is where they start. So if you want to do that and know where they're at, this is how they do it. So when I see numbers thrown around for Daniel Jones of like $30 million, look, the tag is $32.4 million this year, and if you get a second tag, it's 120% of that value. So it would be 32 and then about 39. So let's say 71 over 2. So realistically, 35 is the floor for any deal Daniel Jones would even consider because two tags, you're already above $35 million a year. So I think around the $40 million per year conversation, let's say five years or so, I think they're going to push. You obviously saw Joe Shane in Buffalo get those six years out of, out of Josh Allen. The team wants the longest deal possible. Again, I know fans think, oh, let's go short-term, get rid of them. If the money's not guaranteed in the later years, it's just control. It's not about, you know, teams want longer deals. So I would say five years, 200 is what I have it projected at right now, not based on anything I've heard, just kind of a guess of mine. And, and I think it's a, a fair deal for both parties, honestly. The question is basically when the team can realistically get out of it without them killing their cap, right? Right, right. And when, in a, in a deal such as that, when do you think the balloon payment comes into play where all of a sudden that quarterback's cap number is a large percentage of their number? Think in third year, probably? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they, what they usually do is, I guess his fifth year option is not there, but you keep the lo lower cap numbers as they are, right? You spread the money out, you give a signing bonus, and you keep their early numbers low. Like Josh Allen's cap hits, you know, these first two years have been very low. Right. It's now going to jump up this upcoming season. So same structure. All right, let me come back to you with something else. Joe Shane came out of the Bills system, and we know how they worked the Josh Allen deal. They worked it very creatively. They probably used every mechanism known to mankind, plus some that came from Mars, to try to make that thing work. How creative do you think Joe will be based off what he learned in Buffalo to try to get Daniel Jones done? I'm assuming he'll use a lot of the same mechanisms. I think the big one they're going to continue to see is the rolling guarantee structure for Josh Allen. And that, what that means is that 
in a certain year, guarantees two years out become fully guaranteed. So you're not getting the fully guaranteed money at signing, which of course every player wants, which mm-hmm. is of course why Lamar Jackson and Baltimore apparently are battling on negotiations. Teams don't want to do that. But what they did in Buffalo is essentially in 2023, this offseason, Josh Allen's 2025 money will become fully guaranteed. So you're getting protection. They're not going to cut you and pay you for three years. Right. Right. So, so it's kind of this built-in protection. And the other thing they did is they put option bonuses in his deal. So not just a signing bonus, but also another prorated bonus later so instead of having to restructure the contract it just already continues to push cap down the line keep that number down and help them spend around that player so you would say realistically we're either looking at the tag or probably something that's about five years or more you would be surprised if we get a smaller two or three year deal out of this yeah at that point i think you just go the tag route because you know if you're going two years just yeah tag them and figure it out later let's talk, let's talk about barkley all right let's just say for argument's sake the Giants are able to do a deal with Jones. Well, now they got the tag over Barkley's head, and I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room for him to do anything about it. That I completely agree with. If they can get a deal done with Daniel Jones, it's got to be in the next week, um, which could be tough with a new agent and all those things. But, yes, if the tag is available for Barkley, I think they would use it. Look, $10.1 million for one year of Saquon Barkley is, I mean, A, it's what he was making on his rookie deal already, um, and, B, I think it's a great great value, you know, no matter what you think about Barkley. That's a good value. Right. I want to talk about the market at running back because it's flooded. Like, there are so many good veterans, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, um, even guys like Alexander Madison, you know, you know, Kareem Hunt, guys like that, right? There's just so many guys that I think can at least be timeshare backs, if not full-time starters out there. Then throw in the fact, and we'll talk about this a lot this week as you have our draft experts on, it's a great running back draft in the glass. You know, we, I talked to Daniel Jeremiah, who'll be going up as a Giants huddle earlier today, and he's like, hey, you can get a starting running back in the fourth round this year. So if they do have to tag Jones and Barkley does hit the open market, right? Do you think he's going to get that mammoth author from another team, or is this flooded market going to keep his value down, even if he becomes an unrestricted free agent? I think it is going to suppress it. It is the biggest buyer's market maybe of all positions this offseason. I think off-ball linebacker to a degree as well, which is probably good news for the Giants. But, um, yeah, I think it could suppress it. He's not going to get into that Christian McCaffrey, you know, $16 million per year range, which I think people think is crazy. That deal was signed in 2019, so it actually isn't that crazy to ask for that money. Um, but I think realistically he'll fall more in the $13, $14 million per year range if he does hit free agency. Okay, let me go big picture here. Let's get off the Giants for just a minute. I was always told that front offices – look at their numbers in three-year increments. They're always trying to look out three years ahead, three years ahead, three years ahead. Well, a lot of books, if not every book in this NFL, got thrown into the fireplace with COVID because of those two years of COVID, which changed revenues, changed salary cap projections, and basically took the wheelbarrow and threw it upside down. So at what point do you think teams are able to kind of buoy the ship and say, okay, we've gotten through that. We kind of know where we're at. Now we're not scrambling anymore. We can actually have a new blueprint. It's a great question, and I think it is this offseason. So it also what it did was hampered all this new money coming in from the 17th game, the extra playoff game, gambling money, TV deals, all those things. Remember, the CBA was signed like the day before COVID, you know, shut down the country. So those things coincided with each other, and I think this offseason is now where they're confident they're back, they feel comfortable in their structure, and I think the cap is going to take the big jump everyone's been waiting for, I think it's next offseason. So I think teams are going to look to spend because they know that's coming, and you can get some (laughs) deals done now, and that, you know, will age very well very quickly. And that's why if you can push some stuff to the back end now you think that big balloon money is going to come and it would uh, behoove somebody to do so exactly right yep yeah all right i got a couple you mentioned the inside linebacker market the giants are in that market talk about what that market's gonna look like this free agency class some of the players to keep an eye on what the dollar values might look like 
Yeah, so unlike the, unlike the running back class, I think it's not a great draft class. There's a couple guys, so I think that helps the, the, these free agents, but there are a ton of free agents. So, look, obviously everyone's going to make the Tremaine Edmonds connection from Buffalo, <clears throat> but I think you know, David Long in Tennessee is interesting. Look, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, I think he's going to get like $18, 19000000 million a year. I think it's going to be a very, very big contract. Um, that is a number. Yeah, you know, David Long in Tennessee, very good player. Uh, you know, an attacking linebacker, I think Wink Martindale would love having on the team, can pass rush, can just play downhill. I think he's more in the, you know, 10 to 12 million per year range. But then you have, you know, Leighton Van Der Esch and Bobby Okereke. There's so many players. Um, every style you want, Drew Twankle, if you want a more of a coverage backer. Like, literally, I could go on for days. There are every single style of player at every price point in, the, in this market. All right, I've got a procedural question for you because a lot of fans have asked me about this, and I'm not that detailed into the economics of this thing that I could answer them. And that is... Why is it that you can announce a post-June 1st cap cut on March 15th? Why, why does that have to happen? And we, we understand that it spreads out the, the, the dead money over the rest of the, the deal. But why is it that you can designate it and not kind of fall in line with the actual calendar itself? And I want to add one more part of that question. Does that money then only become available after June 1st? So, yeah, great great follow-up. Yes, you can't – that cap is not available to you until June 2nd. So you have to carry it through the entire offseason. But why they do that is, A, you can only do it on two guys in offseason, right? right? So you can't do it a ton. But um, realistically, it helps the player because while their cap hit is still on your books, they can go out and sign elsewhere. So it's almost kind of a, a benefit to the players of, hey, you're a veteran guy. We think you can get back on the market and sign somewhere else. But we're not going to make you sit on the roster until June because then everyone else's budget is dried up. They've spent in free agency – so realistically, it's a benefit to the players. So it's strictly something the players' union kind of wanted to get in there so that they could give the players a little bit more freedom and knowledge about what's going on. It helps the teams too, obviously, but I, I do think if you had to say, you know, which side probably benefits from this more, I'd probably argue the team side. Yeah, or the player side, excuse me. Okay. All right, position groups here, free agency. Where is it thick? Where is it thin? And give me some guys to keep an eye on that you think are going to maybe set the bar here for where some of these contracts might land. Yeah, so we touched on running back and linebacker as very, very strong. I think interior defender, even after you know uh, the, the franchise tag came in on Deron Payne, I think it's still a great group. Javon Hargrave in Philadelphia should get out. Uh, I think uh, Dalvin Tomlinson with the Minnesota Vikings may be a free agent. Draymond Jones, Denver Broncos. So, look, I think Javon Hargrave could get like $18, $19 million a year. He deserves it too, by the way. He's, he's been good. He's been phenomenal. You know, and, and I know he's getting up there in age, but he's you know, not particularly old. Uh, and then, you know, Draymond Jones and Zach Allen, I think, are more like 12 to 15 range. They're more of like a 3-4 defensive end. But I think all these odd front teams across the NFL would love to bring those guys in. Good pass rushers. Um, Tremont Jones in particular, you know, I'm hearing a lot about that a lot of teams are very high on him. Um, and then Dalvin Thompson, very good nose tackle. Obviously, you know, the former Giant, you guys know all about him. But, yes. yeah. And then for the weak class, not great for the Giants. The wide receiver class in free agency is not strong. Yeah. Um, you know, just like, like we talked about, it. those guys don't reach free agency anymore. Um, so not a great group. And then, you know, I, I would say – Interior offensive line has like some solid players, but there's no kind of like splash name. Like Isaac Samalo with the Eagles might be the best guard available. Um, you know, had some injuries in the past. You know, a little bit of an older player, so that's a little bit weaker there. Okay, final one for me. Lamar Jackson's going to be the biggest economic story, I think, of this off season. How is this thing going to play out? If I had to bet right now, I honestly think he's going to get a franchise tag before March 7th. Everyone knows that. And if I had to bet, like, the three scenarios of, okay, plays on the franchise tag, gets tagged and signs an extension in Baltimore, or gets tagged and gets traded, I think he might just play on the tag this year. I think he is a guy that recognizes the leverage that a guy like Kirk Cousins has um, and is comfortable betting on himself. I honestly would say getting traded is not outside of the realm of possibility either. I just don't see him and the Ravens bridging this gap on the fully guaranteed structure of the deal. Mm -hmm. And I think another team that's desperate probably would do it. <laughs> yeah, I think the interesting part of Lamar, and this is the last thing I'll ask you about, 
is that if you put the non-exclusive tag on them, I think there are teams that'll jump and say, oh, two ones, okay. You know, it's the rare player where you could get more for him in a trade than you could get with the non-exclusive Probably. tag. So what's the cost for them on the exclusive tag? Isn't it absorbent? Like, so I think that kind of makes the trade more likely because of the way you have to apply that tag to them, right? So I think you have to go exclusive, right? Because like every every team would jump at two first round picks right. for Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, even Kirk Cousins got an exclusive tag. Dak Prescott got an exclusive tag. So it's right now about forty five million. That number can change up until April twenty first, uh, the end of the restricted free agent window. That's you know anyway. Um, so, <laughs> so that number can fluctuate. But yeah, it's I mean it's thirty two million for the non exclusive versus forty five right now for the exclusive. But I think they don't have a choice. And then yeah, you try to maybe there's the deadline of July 15th to get an extension done with a franchise tag player, if they're not making progress, I think they start answering phone calls about a potential trade. One caveat, you have to buy a season's worth of bubble wrap to go with him. Nah, seriously. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Derek Carr, where does he land? How much? I'm saying New Orleans Saints, and I'll go two years, 60 mil, with about 32 and a half total guaranteed. Interesting. Only 30 per for him, huh? Yeah, you know, I know it came out that he's looking for 35, so that makes me think, okay, if you're asking for 35, maybe you'll get 30. You know, I know there are a couple suitors there. If the Jets don't get Aaron Rodgers, maybe they up their offer and are kind of desperate to get a veteran that can, you know, carry a very good roster elsewhere. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I don't think there's a ton of suitors. Now. All right, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, Brad. Thank you, guys. Brad Spielberg, Pro Football yeah. Focus. We thank you for joining us. We'll be back with more. Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports right after this. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get to Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's just yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of and the then never, Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. He's always on time, even early sometimes. He's the general manager of the New York Football Giants. That is the one and only Joe Shane. Joe, how are you, man? How's everything going? I'm great. Yeah, so far so good. We started with uh, our interviews last night, so got off to a good start, and then uh, we got we got a lot more to do today, so uh, we're off to a good start, though. How much are you working for agency while you're out here, too? A lot. So a lot of the agents will you know, typically show up today through Friday or Saturday, and it's really our own free agents, you know, our own UFAs. That's who we're going to be meeting with. We'll talk with some of the uh, the agents that have college prospects at well, whether it's setting up pro days or dinners or private workouts potentially with prospects. So um, interaction with the agents is a big part of this as well. Joe, generic question about the combine. Some coaches don't come. Others do. Some bring a full staff. Some don't. Did you discuss with Brian how you guys wanted to do this, and what did you finally come up with? Yeah, that's a great question, and I believe I said it uh, before that like just the Dave's and his staff, their investment in the process, the draft process, the player acquisition process, whether it's free agency or the draft or waiver wire claims in season, uh, I really appreciate that. So we work very well with the staff, our personnel department, uh, and the coaching staff. 
So we have a lot of belief in our process in terms of, um, you know, however we're going to acquire the, the player, the, the work that we put in, whether it's character, football uh, background, uh, their ability, the film study, whatever it may be. It's really a collaborative process. So uh, I really appreciate Dave's and his staff. And, and there was really no discussion about them not coming to the, the combine. Mm-hmm. Uh, several of the coaches went with us to the senior bowl. And again, that's just, we believe in our process. And, you know, I appreciate Dave's and his staff for, um, you know, the work that they, they do with us. And they and I are aligned and you know the thought as we approach each year in the personnel calendar uh, the coaches input along with the personnel will usually lead us to the best decisions all right Joe we got a bunch of questions from fans here they're coming in via YouTube chat put your chats up Pearson's back in the shop he's going to get them up for us we got Twitter questions I pulled and we're going to do live phone calls as well so let's start with the Twitter question here Joe because I thought this was a good one from Jesse Deutsch last year you guys drafted probably two guys people will consider a little bit smaller on Cardell Flott in terms of weight and then Wanda yeah. Robinson in terms of height how does size play into your evaluation of prospects is it dependent on position how do you view that? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that. We take everything into account, you know, football character, personal character, height, weight, speed, all that stuff, production. And if they don't have, you know, again, I come from the Parcells mold, if they don't look like what's playing in the league, what's their compensating factor? Um, and you look at Dayball's offenses that he's used throughout his career, uh, the way, all the way back to Wes Welker, Edelman, uh, Beasley and uh, Buffalo, you know, Wandell was a guy that was explosive, uh, was really coming on before he was injured. And then Flott, again, he's youngest player on the team, uh, good athlete. Uh, you saw him make some plays down the stretch in the playoffs, and he's got a bright future for us. Again, he's young. He's, he's 20. I believe he just turned 21. So uh, we take all those into account, but can they compensate for whatever they may be lacking? It's almost like the fan knew your answer to the question, because I have a good follow-up from Twitter earlier. I was going to ask is the second question. Is there a hesitation in drafting, this is from Frank Buffone, in drafting a smaller wide receiver with Robinson on the roster? I don't, you tell me, do you see him as a slot only? And then how do you decide who is a slot only guy when you look at your offense? Yeah, and Dave's and I talk about this a lot, and we actually went through some of the receivers, the Tyreek Hills of the world. Like, he's not a slot only. He's not a tall guy. He's not a big guy. Mm -hmm. But they come in all different shapes and sizes. So if you're explosive like Tyreek Hill and you can play outside and inside, you know, again, we just don't want to put everybody in one bucket just because they lack height. You know, if they've got speed and they got separation skills, then in our, our offense, you know, that gives them more versatility in terms of game planning and how we're going to utilize them. So what do you look for for a guy to be able to play outside, maybe if they're not 6'3", 6'4"? Yeah, again, it's it's the ability, speed, it's speed. You know, stretch okay. the field. But then you got to be able to separate. All quarterbacks will tell you, like the whole big possession receiver with catch mm-hmm. radius, like any quarterback, your comfort level is going to be throwing to receiver that has some separation. Well, guys that you've are got, open. You've got a bigger window that's open, yeah. yeah. So um, if you can separate, you know, that's one of the main critical, you know, obviously catching the ball, but that's a big-time critical factor for us when evaluating receivers. Another question we had come in earlier, and I think it's kind of one I have myself. How do you put the final player grade on the board? How much of the combine is the is the weighted part? How much of the pro day is the weighted part? And how much is their season's worth of film or two season's worth of film? Yeah, that's a great question. So we just finished up our draft meetings, um, basically two weeks of, you know, basically seven in the morning till seven at night. Um, We'll go through by position, and it's it's strictly a football grade and a in a character grade that we get from the Mm -hmm. schools, from our our, all of our scouts work uh, throughout the fall. So that 
February board is very important to me because that's based off of football only. Right. That's before we get to gymnastics. Oh, this guy ran way faster <laughs> than we thought. Oh, he's slower than we thought, but he compensates with instinct. So uh, to me, the board in February, we, we take a picture of it. We always reflect back to it, even in April. Hey, why did this guy go up two rounds or down two rounds? You know, that's going to send off a red flag for us. Are we moving him for the right reason, or is it because he ran fast and shorts and T-shirts? So mm-hmm. um, the football grade is the most important, and that's why February meetings, I think, are um, some of the most important meetings that we'll have throughout the process from your experience being in Buffalo and other places how much variance will usually occur with a player from the time that football grade comes in to the time the draft finally happens yeah there won't be a lot again it's we almost have a we have a flag if a guy moves two rounds right um, and it kind of alerts us and then okay let's we'll have a conversation Here, here's what we said in February here's what we're saying now does this make sense or mm-hmm. what, what did we find out are we moving him for the right reason and does it check all the boxes along the way? So uh, we have a checks and balances on that. And some players do go up or down. You know, it's, some guys are too low on them. Some guys are too high, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, but ultimately, what matters, you got to be right, right once, and that's when you turn the card in. All right, let's go to some <laughs> phone calls here. Let's go to our fans. They have them on the line. Let's go to Ryan in New York. Uh, we'll take his call first. Ryan, you go with Joe Shane. Remember, we're going to do one question here, folks. Get to it quickly. We want to get as many people in as we can. Ryan, go ahead. Hey, Joe. Ryan, you got to get off your speakerphone, dude. One more shot or we're going to Taylor. Yeah, all good. Uh, hey, Joe, uh, what do you look for when you're doing contract negotiations as a sport agent, you know, with the, with the agents? Uh, he wants to know what do you look for in contract negotiations when you uh, and how you deal with agents when you try to negotiate these contracts. What's important to you? Yeah, first off is the value. I think it's important to get the value right. So a lot of times our process is, you know, who are similar contracts that – you know, in similar players. So you'll look at age, you'll look at production, um, our pro grades, what type of grades do we have on the players. And then that's kind of where we'll come with kind of a sweet spot of, hey, this guy ranges between, you know, dollar amount X and Z. That's where we see him, come up with a contract structure, and then you go to the agents, and that's when the uh, the negotiations start. And, again, within that we go with a walkaway point. Like when is this too rich for us and the value doesn't meet what we're going to uh, – we're not going to get a return on our investment, and you got to be okay walking away. And, you know, we do that with all of our negotiations because, you know, last thing you want to do is overpay and you know you're overpaying and you don't get a return on your investment. All right, let's go to another call. Jake, you can throw this on. You can actually hear the call if you want to put those on, which was <laughs> my fault. Idea. Let's go to Taylor in Florida. Taylor, you're up next with Giants General Manager Joe Shane. Go ahead. Hey, guys, quick question. It's um, someone like B. John Robinson is there at 25, or even if he's sitting there maybe at like 17, would you guys possibly take him there or possibly move up? Is it like a top third of it for him as well? Yeah, we're going to be open to anything. That's a good question. Um, again, we have a lot of pending free agents. Obviously, uh, Saquon, you know, we're in conversations with him. So uh, a little bit depends on that. But he's a really talented football player. And, again, we're in a position where, um, you know, we really can't draft on need. We need to continue to add football, good football players across the board. And you're never going to go wrong adding good football players, especially explosive players on offense. We have another running back question from Eddie in Virginia. So I'll bring him in. We'll try okay. to stay on the theme. Eddie, what's going on? Go ahead. Eddie, Eddie hung up. Looks like. All right, Paul, you got a question on YouTube for me? Yeah, John from YouTube uh, says, what are your thoughts about uh, Hyatt, the Tennessee receiver and the wide receiver class, obviously understanding your wide receiver room was badly banged up last year? Yeah, with uh, I would say the wide, wide receiver class in, in general, it's a pretty diverse class. You know, they come in different sizes and shapes and speeds. Um, and you're going to re- returner, you know, that's something we'll probably look at this offseason. So if they give a little bit of value in terms of returning and the versatility. But uh, Jalen Hyatt's a guy that I was able to see live. Um, 
you know, against Alabama, which was a good game for him. That was a little bit of his coming out party. So uh, good player, good class in general. Um, excited to get around some of these guys this week, meet with them in person, and, and see them move around on the field. Uh, mm-hmm. From Twitter, Jason Honeywell, this is a two-parter with two different questions, Joe. How do you balance short-term success with long-term goals as you navigate the offseason? And then another question that's related from Nemesis Oscosio. Could there be a conflict in decisions that could help make the team better in 2023 but maybe hurt the long-term goal of winning a Super Bowl? Yeah, that's a great. Those are both great questions, and that's that's a little bit what keeps me up at night. Because uh, you know, again, when we when, when we when we got here, you know, again, you look well rested. The, the, the salary cap wasn't in a great situation, and we were trying to add talent. We we couldn't really do a lot in free agency last year, so um, we had a really good season. Uh, Dave's and his staff did an amazing job. We tried to fill as many holes as we could with the resources we have, but also understanding, you know, we still have a ways to go, and we have. There's several holes on the team uh, that we need to fill and we need to continue to upgrade not only our frontline guys but our depth. So, um, yes, 2023 is important. Uh, you know, you never want to regress. You want to compete and, and do the best you can year in, year out. So balancing that versus, you know, what's best long term in 2024, 2025 as you continue to build the team and the foundation um, for us moving forward. Just to follow up on that, Joe. Has this whole process almost sped up for you a little bit? You know, last year it was so good. You win a playoff game, you, you go again. I'm sure you had plans for all different scenarios. But I'm sure in some ways you were preparing, all right, maybe this could be a really big, you know, rebuilding offseason. But now it's really not that. Have things almost accelerated in how you want to build this team a little bit based on maybe what you thought it would be when you got here? Yeah, uh, to a point. Again, I, we always want to be competitive. And I, of course. I said that for my opening press conference, you know, build, you know, compete today, build for tomorrow. And you know we're we're still in that mold. Like I still we still want to be a competitive roster in 2023, and that's that's the plan. But we also got to keep we got to realize where we are and the amount of work that we have to do on both sides of the ball. Um, so in terms of allocating our resources, whether it's draft capital or our, our finances within the si- uh, salary cap, um, you got to prioritize positions, positions in need, and with those resources, depending on where you're allocating, what else can you get with those resources, and does it make sense? John from YouTube has one here, Joe, and I'm going to get a little generic after I read his question. He says, what do you see at the inside linebacker and cornerback class this year? Maybe I'll just expand it and just say, how do you feel in general about this defensive crop compared to maybe the offensive crop that's coming out? Yeah, it's a solid defensive crop. You know, I think the uh, you know outside backers in our scheme, I think, you know, it's a pretty deep class there, you know, rushers for 4-3 teams. Um, I would say over the last few drafts, defensive tackle and inside linebackers – um, are becoming more scarce for wh- for whatever reason. You know, defensive line maybe again because it's this seven on seven generation that the kids are playing <laughs> up and they're they're skill guys. But you know, inside linebacker and defensive tackle I would say is a little bit thin and, and it has been the last few years. But otherwise, you know, on the perimeter, at corner, safeties, outside backers, um, you know, I think there's some solid depth in, throughout the draft. I think inside linebackers are interesting now because you know you want guys that can cover, but or you're just going to blitz your linebackers. Then in passing situations, you play safety. So yeah. Do you change your on-field philosophy simply based on the guys that are available and the guys you can bring in? How, how are those two things kind of interrelated in terms of how you use that position? Yeah, again, you can only sign or draft you know, what's available exactly, to you in right. that cycle. So, yeah, but Wink did a really good job you know, with our staff identifying what position specifics and critical factor he wants the inside linebackers to have. So um, you're right, there is a um, you know, transition from a lot of these safeties bigger safeties will transition down to linebacker you know again that's good in terms of 
pass coverage and being able to defend tight ends or, or those type of guys, but then you also got to be able to defend the run, and that's that's the difficult part for those guys. You got to be able to take on a 310-pound guard, but then you also got to be able to you know cover an athletic tight end. So those guys are hard to find. We got at Mick tweeting over here. Does your draft philosophy alter based on where you're picking? You were obviously two picks in the top seven last year. This year you're picking 25. Does your process change at all depending on where you're selecting? No. The, the process will stay the same. The mindset will stay the same. Again, continue to add good football players. Um, we're really only 13 months into this, and you know we still have a long way to go and a lot of work to do. So, again, I just I don't think you can go wrong taking good football players. Another YouTuber from Jack, he wanted to know about uh, generically, what is it that you took from Buffalo that you were able to use most effectively last year, and what did you learn last year that you'll be able to advance yourself this year as a GM? Yeah, I would say it, not just Buffalo, but when I was in Miami as well as the sure. director of player personnel and then assistant GM in Buffalo, just if you look at some of the moves that we made, um, whether it was Tyree Phillips, Jack Anderson, Jason Pinnock, Nick McLeod, some of those waiver wire transactions that we made, it was about being patient. Um, some of the value signings, uh, Jihad Ward, Richie James, mm-hmm. like those are a lot of value guys that didn't cost us a lot on the cap because we didn't have a lot of lot of money so I think the biggest thing is being patient understanding players will become available at different ti- different times of the year and making sure you have a good process in place and those guys ranked in the right order and you can still compete today and build for tomorrow and I think that's what we showed last year with the roster again whether it was waiver wire claims um, getting guys off practice squad Jared Davis we did it week 16 he started two playoff games amazing so amazing you're always trying to upgrade the roster in any way you can but that would be the biggest thing that you know i implemented in miami and buffalo and we were able to execute here Mm -hmm. all right we got one more phone call here joe i want to get to let's go to uh, tom in connecticut he wants to ask about the salary cap tom go ahead Uh, hi joe uh congratulations i was just wondering would you have saved more money by waiting until 2015 for the lease that Tom, we could barely hear you, man. I think he was asking about using a, a June 1st uh, designation for, for cutting players and how that kind of helps to cap. Were you asking about Galladay? I think he, I think I okay. might have heard that in the, in the crackle. Yeah, and we, <laughs> we haven't decided yet on that. Um, you know, we let Galladay, Kenny and his representatives know that, you know, we are going to move on, and that, that move will be March 15th. So we still have a couple weeks to decide, you know, whether we want to, you know, take the cap hit this year or do it post-June 1 and spread it out over two years. Again, it's it's a credit card. You're, you're kicking it down the road, and you're going to have to pay the bill at some time. So um, we're going to try to find what works best for us as we're trying to build this thing, if it's, you know, to take the hit this year or, you know, post-June 1 and, you know, spread it over two years. Joe, thanks for being with us. Before we say goodbye, what's your number one priority as you move next few days and, and kind of where are where are you on, on, on trying to achieve that as you're out here in Indy over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, really getting with the uh, agents of our, our current guys that are UFAs. You know, I'd like to retain some of our own. I'd like to have productive conversations we already have with, with several of our players. And, you know, it was a special group we had last year. It was a special season for, for Dave's and myself our first year. And um, we'd like to retain some of those guys if we can, if it works out. But they've right, they've also earned the right to be free agents and uh, test their market. So um, so far, so good on that front? Yeah, so far, so good. I mean, you never know with the negotiations. Just, you go through a lot of pain before things get better. So that's, that's kind of where we are right now. Good stuff, Joe. Appreciate the time, man. Yep. Joe Shane, John Shuttle Manager. We'll be back with more Big Blue Kickoff Live right after this. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. 
Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> and by the way, after we're done with uh, Chris Trapasso here from CBS Sports, he does draft for them. Uh, we'll take your calls for the last 10 minutes or so of the show, react to what Joe talked about, and we'll get with you guys and kind of talk about what we learned from Joe. Uh, but we started the show doing a lot of free agency and salary cap stuff with Brad Spielberger from PFF, who was great. Uh, we did Joe Shane, obviously. Now we want to dip into this draft class a little bit and kind of set the stage for the week here. And front of the program, Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. Chris, what's going on, man? How are you? Thanks for having me, and I'm glad that I got bumped. I, I saw Joe walking up, and I was like, hey, Get this GM on here before me. He's <laughs> 50 times more important than I am. But it's a great, it's a great week. You're Everyone's also a Buffalo back. guy, so, yeah. and I'm a Buffalo guy. Right. So kind of have some of the knowledge of what Shane and Brandon Bean did in Buffalo for multiple seasons. So I, I think I'm a good guy to have on this well, show. Oh, how about this? How about we start there instead of doing draft class first? How do you think Joe Shane will handle this very tricky off season now as he continues to grow the Giants based on what they did up there in Buffalo? <laughs> It's hard to tell how he will attack it, and I think learning under Brandon Bean will probably kind of be his guide. But the fact that he kind of went through this roster rebuilding, kind of not purging the roster, but you're going to have some dead cap, you're going to get rid of some veterans, and then you need to build it up from there. The fact that he's already experienced that in that assistant GM role, I think really bodes well, not just for the job he did last year, but like you said, this very critical offseason with a lot of free agents, a fair amount of draft picks, four picks in the top 105. Um, the fact that he was there as the right-hand man for Brandon Bean really, I think, helps him this offseason for the Giants. You know, it's interesting. We had a cap specialist on to yep. begin the show, and he was talking about maybe if the Giants have a little extra money after re-signing some of their guys, they may make a trade for a big splash guy instead of trying to sign a free mm. agent because maybe the free agents don't fit exactly what they need. Yeah. Well, Buffalo made the big trade to get Stephon Diggs yeah. a few years ago, and he put them in another hemisphere. Yeah. Do you see the Giants potentially doing something like that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, learning from Brandon Bean, he was aggressive. He yeah. he purged that roster in 2018, traded away Marcel Darius, traded away Sammy Watkins, and then started to sign those players um, or trade for Stephon Diggs. So I, I think... Joe Shane learning from that. And again, every guy is different. They can go out to, to be their GM and, 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 and kind of do things their own way. It wouldn't surprise me, though, because I think when you have a quarterback, and certainly the future for Daniel Jones is a little murky at this point, but you need to build around him. And I think that's the most glaring need, whether it be in free agency, via trade, or the draft, to now just get big-time wide receivers around whoever the quarterback is for the Giants moving forward. Well, what a perfect time and way to start talking about the draft class. Yeah. Wide receivers. <laughs> not a great class. It's not um, Nope. It doesn't have those guys at the top. I, I, I've said this a million times on our shows, and please stop me if you disagree. I think the best wide receiver this year is probably getting picked as the fifth or maybe sixth guy Over last the last year. couple, yeah. 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 You know, Over I the mean, last few drafts. I mean, Jamison Williams, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, those guys are all probably going mm -hmm. before any of the guys in this year's draft class, right? So, A, 
will these guys get picked in the first round anyway? Who's going to be left for the Giants? And just your overall thoughts, if the Giants do want to go wide receiver in the first round, what might fit their roster best? Yeah, I think a lot will come down to what they do on the field here at the Combine. It, if we see Jordan Addison and Jackson Smith and the Jigba, um, Zay Flowers run a little bit slower, then we could maybe only see two, maybe three of those receivers go in the first round when, like you mentioned, last year there was, what, five that went that early. Um, and in terms of what the Giants need, I think – because they drafted Wendell Robinson last year, and before he got injured, he really flashed that yards after the catch ability, the talent to get open. You would think they want a little more size at, um, at that position. Quinton Johnston from TCU, it would really depend. If he is not running super fast, he could be available a little bit later. How do you think um, he's going to run? I think he's going to run pretty fast. I think the one concern that, that I have on film and that a few scouts that I've talked to said, coming from the Big 12, that TCU offense – wide open, not yeah. the full route tree. Not, and not a great history with Big 12 wide not receivers. Not a good no. history with Big 12 <laughs> wide receivers because they just don't have to run that full route tree. And I think they can have all the physical talent um, like Quentin Johnson does. He's big. He's very good after the catch. He's fast. Hands issues too. Hands issues and was a go route wide receiver or they were throwing him screens. So that to me, unless he blows up here in, in Indy, he could be available a little bit later on. And if we're going back to the Bills comparison, the Bills never really prioritized size. Like, Stephon Diggs is not big. When Josh Allen took that step, it was John Brown and Cole Beasley. I really think Joe, True. Sh- yeah. Joe Shane understands that getting open, creating after the catch, that helps your quarterback more than being that contested catch wide receiver. And for as good as the class is, it, it's not a great class at receiver. I think round two and round three, there's plenty of those guys that are a little smaller that aren't going to tick those physical and athleticism boxes that can get open and be helpful to whoever the next quarterback is for the Giants. Who do you like in that window? You just brought the guys up, so who do you like in that window? I really like Zay Flowers, and I think he will. He could be available early in the second round because he is only five foot nine. He bulked up to 183 pounds. There's not a long history of five foot nine wide receivers becoming that wide receiver one at the next level. I really like him. I love Jaden Reed. From Michigan State. Great senior bowl. Mm -hmm. Great senior bowl. He reminds me a lot of Stephon Diggs, who was a fifth round pick, um, had a really good second to last season at Maryland, just like Jaden Reed did at Michigan State. Runs routes with nuance, the head fakes, the shoulder fakes, battling at the line of scrimmage. He's not very big. He's like right around 5'10, 5'11, 180, 190 pounds, but that's plenty big enough to be that wide receiver one. I really like him. And I think Jackson Smith Najigba. Because of the injury last season at Ohio State, barely played at all, he's going to be that value pick either late in the first round or even into the second. Not a a big-time athlete, but the nuance, the intricacies that I just talked about with Jaden Reed are definitely there where suddenly maybe you don't have a big wide receiver group, but you have two or three guys who underneath and at the intermediate level can get open for the quarterback. Interesting you mentioned second round because the Giants pick 57. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is kind of further down yeah. in that second round. They may not have a shot at some of the guys you just talked about. But what do you think of this receiver class in general? I think the one characteristic that I thought in terms of the first three rounds, you're seeing more smaller guys yep. than you're seeing bigger guys, mm-hmm. which, as you said, they've already got Wandell Robinson. I don't know if they're going to want to add to that style mm-hmm. of guy. And then the other thing is, how many of these top three-round value receivers do you think can actually emerge as a number one? Mm. Because I think the Giants have a two yeah. in maybe Hodgins or yeah. maybe Robinson. Uh, they they need a one. Yeah. If the guy's not got the potential to be a one, I don't know if it's smart to take them. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think once you're getting into the second or third round, it, it is obviously more challenging to find that guy. But we've seen over the last three to four to five drafts with A.J. Brown, with Debo Samuel, yeah. D.K. Metcalf, that 2019 draft class, Terry McLaurin was a third-round pick. Yeah. You can find them. And I just spoke to the uh, importance of separation ability. I, I personally like when a team kind of has a diverse – collection of skill. At almost the like, almost like a basketball team, Like right? a basketball yeah. team. That's how I've always felt. Different I've got to have one skyscraper in the room. Yeah. different. Well, you got Hodgins. It's close yeah. enough. <laughs> but to me, and, and I just mentioned A.J. Brown, I think D.J. Moore, who was a first-round pick, kind of fits in this mold. For the longest time, we always thought in the entire NFL that the yards after the catch guys were the smaller, super sudden, the Tavon Austin type of guys. But in reality, we found that it's those bigger running back style guys who are really the ones who can excel. With the after thick the legs. Catch. Big yeah. legs, six foot, 220, 6'1", 225. Rashi Rice from SMU fits that category. Right. Parker Washington from Penn State fits that category. Mm-hmm. And they'll be available second round, late in round two, even into round three, where there's not going to be a lot of hoopla when they're drafted. But when you have Wendell Robinson, who can be that little lightning bug underneath to right. be that kind of security blanket out of the slot, move the chains, you have your six foot four guy that can win down the field with Isaiah Hodgins, then you throw in someone like Parker Washington, say, or uh, Rice from SMU, can take that high percentage throw that's three or four yards down the field and turn it into a 10 or a 15 yard gain. That is, to me, the present and the future of the yak side of the wide receiver game that's so vital today. Okay, I want to stick with the receivers for a second. Odell Beckham Jr. is still lurking out there mm. somewhere. What are you doing? Trying to make a splash. <laughs> well, look, folks, it had to be asked, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How does he fit into this equation for teams that need a stellar wide receiver? I think at this point, after the whole Odell Beckham uh, sweepstakes that never fully materialized, going into next year, he's going to be healthy, and he's a early 30s wide receiver that can be that, I think, that niche wide receiver down the field. He's not quite as fast as he used to be, but we know the ball skills haven't dissipated. So I think the Giants, the Bills, a lot of teams that are kind of looking for just more depth and and maybe a veteran presence, if you do have a lot of young wide receivers on the roster that can teach how to beat press, how to win through physicality throughout your routes, Odell Beckham should still be on the radar. Now, are you giving him a huge deal? Maybe that would be a better question for Brad, who you guys had on earlier. Um, I don't know about that, but I think he can still be a useful high-end wide receiver three and and have a few games throughout the season where he gets to that 100-yard mark. Well, the point being, if you need a receiver, do you take an unproven guy in the second or third round or take a guy with a resume? Really, that's what what I'm asking. Yeah, I think it, it, it comes down to what the Giants do at the quarterback spot, and I'll again go back to what I feel most comfortable with talking about the Bills, that when they had Josh Allen, he was young and everyone said, oh, they need to draft receivers. But they went the other route when Joe Shane was there and brought in veterans to kind of help Josh Allen learn how to run an offense, how to get open. So if the Giants, again, they have some younger pieces in in Hodgins and and, uh, Wendell Robinson, maybe they do want a veteran presence to kind of not just help the receivers out, but be that steadying force for someone like Daniel Jones, or if they go a younger route at the quarterback spot. All right, I want to jump over to defense. Talk yep. about the cornerback class. Mm. You know, I think you could see six, maybe it's seven really good. corners. It's yeah, good. it's really good. But who's going to be left at 25? You know, I could see four or five guys off the board in the top 20 picks here, and of the guys that you think might be there, who fits what Wink Martindale likes to do? You know, press big, long, fast. 
You know who I think will be there and would fit Wink Martindale's system is Keely Ringo from Georgia. I, there's a little, there's a little uh, kind of a, a stopping of his momentum because he didn't have as good of a season as people expected. He was a five-star recruit, and you flip on the film, he's over six foot, 200 pounds, and the twitchiness and the explosion I think is exactly what you want. When you're blitzing a lot, you want those corners that can stop on a dime, plant, get downhill, make yep. plays on the football. I think Christian Gonzalez, Joey Porter Jr., Devin Witherspoon, those are going to be the first kind of three guys off the board to get all the way into the 20s would be surprising. And another one, Cam Smith from South Carolina. I don't know if he's quite the level of athlete of those others, but in talk about being on an island, in your face, feisty, got his hands on a lot of footballs, that kind of fits what Wink Martindale had in Baltimore and seems to like outside at the cornerback position. Somebody said to me they thought Willispoon might actually disappoint with his time mm. here at the Combine and you could see him fall. If that's the case, which I do think we're going to see Christian Gonzalez and maybe even Keely Ringo run super fast, and we know historically if you run fast at the Combine at corner, you're going to get picked early. If that's the case and Witherspoon, who's not quite as big as Christian Gonzalez, as Ringo, as Joey Porter Jr., if he's there in the 20s, you pick Devin Witherspoon because he's <laughs> yeah. he's my number one corner. He is the most physical, the most aggressive, the most confident cornerback in this class. I think he's grabby but not too much down the football mm -hmm. field and can make a lot of plays on the ball, especially in this system that is so blitz-heavy and man coverage-heavy. Um, that would be almost a best-case scenario for the Giants in the first round. Sure. All right. Um Generally speaking, where do you like the depth of this class the most in you know rounds three through five, where the Giants might get a couple of those, some of those extra picks, and they already have two third round picks right. in, on the roster. I, I really like the defensive line and the linebacker class. I think if someone like Jack Campbell from Iowa, who played with Dane Belton, I think because of his size, Joe Shane might gravitate toward him after having Tremaine Edmonds there in Buffalo. Campbell's big, six four, six five, two hundred and forty pounds four years of big-time production. He actually reminds me a lot of Logan Wilson of the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm. I think there's a lot of good players at the linebacker spot. And then defensive line, for as good as the Giants are up front with Dexter Williams and Leonard Williams, I think with a bunch of free agents uh, along the defensive line in terms of depth, that's where you can find a lot of good players in this draft. Moro Ojimo from Texas A&M, a little sleeker but can get up the field. Jervon Dexter from Florida, can kind of be that replacement for Delvin Tomlinson a few years removed from that. That's a really good long run stopper. So I think they'll probably go corner, receiver early, but defensive line and linebacker, which are I think are needs for the Giants, yes. third, fourth, fifth round. You can still get starters there. I mean, they drafted Mike McFadden last year, but to add more youth to the position after kind of having the fill-ins with Jared Davis um, and Jalen Smith last year would make a lot of sense to me. And there are good players at those front seven positions on defense. Okay, let me set up this question because you know what they did in Buffalo and you said there was some aggressiveness in that front office. Yeah, for sure. So given what you've just said about the fertility between in the third, fourth, and the fifth rounds. If you were Joe Shane, would you package some of those picks and move up and get a particular guy that you want? Or is there so much good mid-range talent you'd rather have the quantity of picks? I always side with the quantity of picks, but I think the so going into year two, based on original expectations for the Giants last year, you would say definitely just get as many picks as you can. You got a long way to build. But the Giants overachieved. They showed that they were probably a year ahead of this rebuild right. than a lot of people expected. So I think because of that, they've kind of fast-tracked it that Brian Dable and Joe Shane did such a good job with this roster, getting the most out of it. And 
to have that confidence in your head coach that he's going to get the most out of your roster. If you love someone in round two or round three, if there's Jack Campbell that you feel is your middle linebacker for the next five to seven years, then you should go get him. I think normally year two with a new GM and a new head coach, you trade back, you try to get 10, 11 picks. At this point, though, I think the Giants being aggressive, Brandon Bean certainly traded up. He traded up for Dawson Knox, um, Deion Dawkins. I think that's where the Giants probably will side, and I would be completely fine with that. Yeah, they could have 11 picks with the two compensatories expected to come in. Yeah, and at this point, because, again, the roster played a lot better than people expected, and it is a more well-rounded roster than people expected, I don't know if 11 draft picks could make this team. And suddenly, the sixth-rounder that you love that's that's on the practice squad. That's a change for this team, by the way, in a while now. That, That, to, again, tie it back to the Bills, the Bills had Isaiah Hodgins on their roster. They liked him, but there weren't enough roster spots. He's on the practice squad. The Giants poach him, and right. he played really well down the stretch and in that playoff game. So I think at this point, if you're Joe Shane, you're happy that it was fast-tracked, but you don't want to say, let's pick 11 guys, because then suddenly, again, that six-rounder that we loved, he's getting poached because he's on a practice squad after training camp. Chris, awesome stuff, my man. We'll talk to you again later in the process. Awesome. Enjoy Thanks, Indy. Chris. We'll talk yep. soon. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports. Great job out of him. We'll be back with more Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll wrap it up from our Tuesday here in Indy at the Combine. John Schmalk, Paul Dottino with you. Busy day today. Uh, we had Brad Spielberger, who does salary cap for Pro Football Focus. We had Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, who just joined us. And then we had Giants General Manager Joe Shane. Uh, Paul, your major takeaways from Joe, and then we'll see if we can try to get a couple questions here on the line from fans at uh, 201-939-4513, or we'll take a couple of those questions from Twitter we had for Joe as well. Paul? We've only known Joe for about a year now, but I think I sense much more comfort in him this time around because when he got the job last time he was on 78 rpms i know that's for you old time folks that's a fast record (laughs) he was really running a sprint trying to get everything together trying to move in and trying to find some semblance of what he was going to be able to do within the giant structure while trying to implement his own thing i just sense he is so calm and so relaxed now because he's a year in and he has everything exactly where he wants it to be. All of his pegs are in the right holes, and I think I see that in him, and that's probably a very good thing. You know, obviously he didn't want to give us a whole lot on where he is in contract negotiations and stuff like that, which is understandable. Sure. Um, but I thought the, the interesting stuff we got out of him was about the wide receiver position because I think a big point, contention maybe is strong, but I think a big question we're going to be, at least I'll be asking people all mm-hmm. week while we're out of here, Paul, is when you get if you want to pick a wide receiver in the first round, how does he fit with what you already have and what yeah. you want to do? Look, Wanda Robinson's a slot guy. He's five nine. You know, he's not a four three speed guy. He can separate, but I don't think that's a guy you want to line up outside and press coverage again and again. He's a guy you're going to want in the slot more often right. than not, right? And that, quite frankly, when the Giants used him this year, when they used him, he was pretty much always in the slot. Mm-hmm. So that's where he, I think it's fair to say that's where he's going to be. So. Then you look at this receiver class and you figure out, all right, well, what guys, even if they're not, you know, your prototypical 6'3X, can you line up outside and be confident? And I think Joe gave the, the formula for what you look at. Right. Are they good enough route runners or they can separate and do they have speed to win deep? So I think those are the two things that you look for now when you we watch Jordan Addison, we look at his times, is he a guy, even though he's only 5'11", that you can play outside and let him win? Mm-hmm. Jackson Smith and Jigba, does he have enough speed? to be an outside guy, or much like he was at Ohio State in his big year last year, is he 
primarily a slot guy. Same thing for, you know, Zay Flowers is 5'9". Josh Downs from North Carolina is 5'10". Mm-hmm. You know, which one of these guys fits with Wondell Robinson and Hodgins, who's kind of that bigger possession receiver, to make this wide receiver well, core significantly better? The first three rounds are really stacked with sub-six-footers, if you're looking at the wide receiver spot. And so here's the big question, folks. If you're Joe Shane, you have to figure out, if you're going to add to that wide receiver room, are you adding a different piece or are you simply trying to upgrade the pieces that you have? That's really what it comes down to. Because if if you're trying to add a different piece, it's going to be harder to find that different piece based on the characteristics of what's already in the room. And that's what you have to figure out. You know, because even Hodgins, who is on the bigger side, isn't really a burner. So, you know, if you can find a big burner, and, and there are there are going to be some of them in this draft, you know, do you, do you want one of those guys, or are you happy getting another guy who's 5'10", 5'11", but has great escapability, and he's got separation, he's a great route runner? You know, as, as we just heard, you know, the Bills didn't go out and get themselves a big 6'4", you know, ace, proxical Burris kind of receiver. They did it with yeah. smaller guys. All right, well, I just got word Joe Shane started his press conference early, so we got to go. We do. Thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live, folks. We'll have guests all week long, packed shows Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, every day from 1230 to 1.30 right here um, on Giants.com and the Giants Mobile app. Make sure you come in, you check it out, and you're with us all week long. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live, and we'll see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 